Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. So when I did my first long-distance backpacking trip, I remember spending a lot of time trying to figure out the logistics of personal hygiene. I really didn't want to have to pack out large quantities of used toilet paper. So I did some research online, and what I found was that a lot of women apparently were using something called pee rags. A pee rag in its most basic form is just a bandana that you use to wipe instead of toilet paper whenever you just need to do number one. I became an instant convert. Fast forward to now, and one of our sponsors for this episode is a company called Kula. They make pea cloths that are a lot better than bandanas. Pea cloths that are specifically designed to be pea cloths. We'll have all the details on that at the end of this episode, but for now, just know that you can get 10% off your order at kulacloth.com with the promo code OUTTHERE. Today's episode is a little different than most. I want to introduce you to our new cohort of ambassadors. They are listeners just like you who are helping spread the word about Out There. You may remember hearing from our initial cohort of ambassadors back in January. Some of them are still with us, and now we have some new faces to add to the crew. When I first made plans to interview our newest ambassadors, I thought we'd do some quick introductions and leave it at that. But their stories were so compelling that I wanted to let you hear them in a bit more detail. What fascinated me was that each of the new ambassadors sees the outdoors as much more than a nice place to play. They each feel that nature has rescued them in some way or reshaped their lives. Hi, my name is Ashley White. Um, I was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, now live in Minneapolis. Ashley works in the corporate world. He's a leadership development consultant for Target. So, like a lot of us, his outdoor time happens mostly on the weekends. But he'll tell you straight up that nature saved his life. It all started after his youngest daughter was born. Her birth did not go well. The nurse called me and she says, hi, is this Mr. White? And I said, yes. And she says, you need to get to the hospital right now. Your wife is about to die. So by the time I get there, I jump out of my car. I didn't even park it. I left it open. The chaplain meets me. He says, Mr. White. I said, yes. He says, come with me. I immediately thought she was already dead um, because the chaplain met me at the, uh, met me at the door. So they walk in, they let me know the situation. Uh, she had, um, she was currently in, in critical condition. She had flatlined a number of times uh, and ultimately was on life support uh, for a, a little, I want to say, uh, uh, close to a week. Um, but during that time, um, I had a, a daughter in the ICU, the NICU, the neonatal uh intensive care unit um, and a wife in that SICU, which is the severe um, ICU. And so when you go to SICU, you're pretty much in a very bad place. Um, 
she ended up um, coming back and was taken off life support. We spent a few months in the hospital for sure uh, with both of them. Um, during that time, I was still working, you know, going to walk the dog, taking care of the other kids, um, and just running on autopilot. Um, I can't even imagine how one person could, because you already had three kids at that point, right? Yeah, this was the third. This was the third. So I had two um, young ladies already, and I, all I could kids, think about okay. was, yeah, how am I going to raise these little girls without my wife? Um, and it sounds so funny now, but like I was, I was concerned about like I don't know how to do hair, and like that sounds so weird to me, um, but that was one of my biggest <laughs> concerns. <laughs> like, like I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to raise um, a woman. I don't know how to deal with those things, quite possibly. And uh, so I got really concerned. Um, but to end up shortening the story, though. Um, once everything ended up becoming normal again, like she was at home. Um, one day I was just sitting at work and uh, I describe it as I thought I was having a heart attack and it ended up being like um, a severe anxiety attack. Um, and so I went to the hospital for a heart attack and they're like, we think you're having a, a an anxiety attack. And I'm like, my name is Ashley White. And like, I don't know if you don't know me, but I'm like the coolest dude ever. Like nothing rattles me. Like that's what I'm known for um, in the corporate space. Like that's the, the feedback. Like he is the most even guy ever, right? That's what everybody says about me. Um, and so I, I thought that they just messed up. About a week later, it happened again. I went to the hospital. I said, you really need to take a look at my heart. I am about to die. And they're like, no, Mr. White, you probably just have anxiety attacks. Uh, left thinking the doctors didn't know anything again um you know with the sort of the stigma of of healthcare in my family and my community i am african-american is something that um is i, I would say is well known so to be sort of taboo though that i think that there are um strides and gains made and the topic being really taboo in our generation but in my parents generation it's still sort of weird for people to hear that like i needed therapy like that's not something that my mother would like say out loud um, and so one day I'm driving again, it happens again, but this time I think that like people are coming to like kill my wife. Like I had to hurry up and get home because people, my wife was about to die, for example. Um, and not necessarily come to kill her, but I just felt like something was going to happen to her. I just use that as an example to, um, help people understand like the severity for me, how I had to get home and protect her, um, from this unknown force. Um, went home, everything was fine. Uh, was, was sort of just really worried, um, couldn't quite put my foot on it. Um, and that's when she told me I probably needed to go to the hospital, went to the doctor, ended up being diagnosed with um, post-traumatic stress. And so when I, when I get there, they're like, hey, um, how long were you in Afghanistan? I'm like, I never was in the military. I've never seen combat. They're like, oh, because um, looks like you got some like combat stress. And I'm like, nope, not a veteran. You know, they're awesome. Um, but that's not me. That's not my story. And they're like, well, what traumatic event has really happened to you? And so I went through the, the conversation with the doctors. And what it turned out is that the way they sort of explained to me in like layman's terms is that I was on autopilot for so long because I needed to do so much um, that I never had the time to sort of digest what was going on emotionally, mentally with me. And so when things calmed down, those things caught up to me. The next, I would say, two years, um, those that feeling of 
people or things hurting my family or my wife was very real. Um, I often couldn't um, like leave for uh, go to the grocery store or without feeling like something bad was going to happen. So the way that I described like the, the thought of suicide wasn't necessarily that I wanted to um, kill myself. I just couldn't figure out how to like live the way that I used to. And so with the pain that I felt like I just kind of wanted it to just stop. Um, and so my doctor, he was trying to give me medication and I didn't want to take medication um, because of other side effects. And so ultimately um, he was he worked with me greatly. And what he said, what he prescribed to me was like, hey, let's instead of you coming into my office, why don't you meet me at this park and let's walk? Um, and so my therapy sessions became walking sessions um, in the park. And I, when I say park, I don't mean like like a, a na national park or anything. I'm, I'm talking about like, there's a swing set, you know, <laughs> like, like just this is like just your city the, park the kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And so like, but the point was to get me into a green space. Um, and then he recommended like that. I do that more often where I was going into uh, what we would think uh, like as outdoor people, like out on the trail hiking. And so like I went from city park to trailing and I've always been into the outdoors, but this is the point where I realized that nature was going to save my life. Um, because that is the only time that I did not feel that something was going to hurt my wife or family, or I did not have anxiety. And you hear a lot of these stories now, and you're starting to hear the science around it. But at this point, like this was not a thing. Uh, well, I'm sure it was a thing for certain communities, but it wasn't a thing to me. Um, and so uh, I started walking. I started hiking a lot. And then I started backpacking again. Depression is still a thing that I struggle with. Um, the sort of the more anxiety attack issues are much less frequent than they were. Um, and I have tools to, to combat those or skills that I manage them with. Um, but if I don't get into green space like regularly, I really start to feel um, a, a certain amount of pressure, which is why like I consider myself like a super weekend warrior. Um, because every every weekend I have to be doing something and in Minnesota it's it really cold so like that means I'm snowshoeing and sledding and um, you know building Quincy's in the boundary waters um, in order to make sure that I get that space and fresh air wait what's a Quincy a Quincy is like a think a snow shelter sort of resembles an igloo but the technique is different and so instead of cutting out the sort of the snow cubes or ice cubes you are you just build a big mound of snow and let it set and then you dig out the inside but it's like a snow cave so you spend the night um allowing the snow to insulate you and so so you just do this for fun you like go sleep in a snow cave yeah i don't get to do it i don't get to do it often um, but it is one of the things that I enjoy that I didn't get introduced to until I moved to Minnesota. Like it's like apparently Minnesotans love ice fishing, hockey, and Quincy's. Like that's <laughs> that's their thing. Oh man! In the winter, in the winter, all Minnesotans. Right. Let's go skiing, ice fishing. Let's go sleep in a Quincy, 
And I hate to I hate to like stereotype them, but like all the all of my outdoor friends, like those are the things I get really excited about. <laughs> What's your favorite thing to do with your kids outside? Oh, um, my favorite thing to do outside, honestly, is to take their cell phones. That's number one. Uh, number two. <laughs> <laughs> number two is. The moment, if you've ever experienced it, when you have no one in sight um, and you cannot hear anything but the nature and for everybody to just be still. And so I think we get sort of so used to like the white noise of the world around us, whether it's cars or somebody's music or just like literally elevator music of of life and industry. And like you like you just we just get used to it. Like we stop hearing it. Um, but when you're in a place that you have complete silence or you, all you can hear is nature, um, that's the moment that I always try to set them in and tell them to be still because it's so foreign to their world currently. It's like they have so many distractions, so many things coming at them. That moment where the world is still is my favorite thing to share with them, to just remind them that there is still like peace in this world. And if you can find a sliver of that, hold on to that, protect that, take care of that. And do they get it? Do they appreciate the stillness? Uh, it takes about two days. And so like our first day in any camping trip, the first thing is like, daddy, my hair, daddy, my phone, daddy bugs, the, all of all those things. The second day is when um, is what I like to describe as like the enlightening. And so my daughter's um, gender roles, so to speak, drop away. And so like the things that they are taught that girls should do at their age, right? In school and like everything that they see, right? Wear makeup, be cute, um, those all fall away and they just become kids again. That's such a fleeting feeling for a father in general, but also uh, I think it's particularly fleeting for a father of teenage girls because like just, I always feel like the world is trying to ravage them for some reason. I'm, um, and so when that moment where I can see them feel safe enough to drop um, every every wall that they have become start begun to build um, is a moment of power for them. And also like a, a, a moment for me to sort of sit in uh, to understand like they're, they're still my little girls. That was Ashley White. You can follow him on Instagram at the Gentleman Lumberjack. Support for this episode comes from Simple Habit, an app that offers stress relief for busy people. Maybe you're anxious about work or frustrated with dating or you just feel exhausted from life in general. Simple Habit offers five-minute meditation sessions to help you feel your best. I tried it out for the first time on a recent Saturday morning. I had woken up to find mouse turds all over my kitchen counter that day. So let's just say I was feeling a little frustrated. It seemed like a good time to try out Simple Habit. Okay, so first it asks to, for me to choose topics that interest me um, so that it will help personalize my experience. So some of the options here are relax your mind that sounds good relieve anxiety 
get better sleep. It also offers more specific topics like after a breakup or before a date or while commuting. I make some selections and click on the first session. Welcome to Simple Habit. My name is Corey Mascara, and I teach mindfulness at Columbia Teachers College and positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. So let's get started. Just take a moment to get comfortable, whether you're sitting in a chair. I have to say, by the end of the five-minute session, I was feeling a lot more relaxed. You can download the basic version of Simple Habit for free, or to get even more out of it, sign up for Premium. You can get 30% off the yearly premium app by going to simplehabit.com slash out there. That's simplehabit.com slash out there. And we have a link to that on our website as well. And now let's hear from the rest of our new ambassadors. Hi, uh, my name is Allie. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina currently. Uh, I work as a bookkeeper for a law firm, and I have three dogs who are my entire world. Allie's story is a little different from the one you just heard. She wasn't rescued by nature in a literal sense. There was no life or death scenario. For her, the outdoors was her ticket to feeling equal and to feeling like the best version of herself. Her story starts in Florida. I was that poor Florida kid that was literally always running around with no shoes on and raggedy, raggedy clothes, um, usually because I didn't have shoes that fit me. Uh, and because of that, I just ended up spending so much time outside because when I was outside with the other kids, I was an equal. Uh, it didn't really matter what toys you had, uh, what kind of bike you had, what your parents had inside your house. It was all about your imagination and what you could do outside. And from there, my parents moved me into the middle of nowhere in North Carolina, and it was the same thing. I had nobody but my two little brothers. I was outside all the time. We were still pretty poor. Uh, And the only place I ever felt equal was outside. I really wanted to be a rich kid. I thought that would make me happy. I thought I wanted to be like everybody else and I wanted to be equal for once. So I tried really, really hard to get into the nine to five life. And uh, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I finished college, got into law school, and I really, really thought I was going to do all these great things. And then I realized that none of it actually made me happy. I was really, really good at all of these things, but none of it made me feel like me. And then I got a dog, and I spent more and more time outside, and I found out that the best version of me is the outside version of me. And I started to want to tell people about that, about maybe doing something different than what you thought you were supposed to do, doing something different than what everybody else was doing. So uh, me and my significant other, Tim, um, we've both kind of gotten into the same boat and we've been living in the same kind of routine where we live that nine to five life and we both love our jobs and love both great at our jobs, but we kind of feel um, incomplacent almost and we just are worried that we're not living our lives to our potential. And through that we found um, a whole community on Instagram actually of peers of ours 
doing amazing things. They're saying no to the life that everybody lives and they're living in their cars. They're living in vans, they're living in buses, they're living in RVs, they're doing whatever they can to live the life they dreamed of. And we kind of have been obsessed with it and to the point that we want to do it too. So we're actually in the process of purchasing a van. We're not people that need a lot of space. We have a huge house now. We live in 1,800 square feet and the only room we use is the kitchen and our bedroom. (laughs) So it's kind of pointless for us. Um, And our dogs are the same way. We have three dogs, uh, our 200 pounds worth of dog in our house and they live under our feet. Uh, if we're in the bathroom, they're in the bathroom. If we're outside, they're outside. If we're in bed, they're in bed. So it's <laughs> tiny living, uh, the possibility of uh, taking our jobs remote and moving around is something that we're super interested in. And we're, we're trying to pursue it um, with everything we have. And so then your plan is to live in this van full time um, and get rid of your, your, your regular house and travel wherever the winds take you. Exactly. Yeah, we kind of, um, neither of us has been really anywhere. Uh, Tim was actually in the military and he was overseas for a bit. But other than that, we're pretty much just East Coast kids. We actually took our first trip out west this year and it was amazing. It's like a whole new world and it's a whole new world that's right in our backyard. And we haven't seen any of it. And we might never have the opportunity to see all of it unless we do something like this. So we're going to do it. We're going to push forward. We're going to make it happen. And it's going to be hard. We'll probably be eating noodles for a while, but I really like carbs, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> there you go. Always look on the bright side. I was, well, I was going to ask, though, about, um, you know, how this is all going to work financially. I mean, I'm guessing that you guys are going to have to give up your, you know, your normal nine to, nine to five jobs once you move into a van and are traveling all the time. But like how how I know you've given a lot of thought to how this is going to work financially. What's the what what are you planning to do? Um, I love my job. My job is uh, they they've given me so many opportunities, and I hope to never leave them. I'm hoping that they um, they're dreamers too. Everybody in this everybody everybody in the firm that I work for has big dreams. We help people. That's what we do. Um, and I I really really hope that we can figure out a way for me to continue doing what I do for my company, my, um, the bookkeeping the bookkeeping side of it, um, over the road. Because it's most jobs nowadays are computer-based, and it's unless you work in the customer service industry or, uh, say, you're a hairdresser or something like that, what, what do you need to be in the office for? Uh, what can't be done over a telephone call, what can't be done over a Skype call. If I can log into the system from anywhere, why can't I do it from anywhere? So that's the hope. Um, If not, I'm sure that I can find a different version of what I'm doing now remotely. I really, really hope it's with the company that I am now, but if not, we will figure it out along the way. (laughs) Um, The biggest thing, though, is with moving the van, your expenses go down so much. If we're planning on doing this the cheapest way possible, um, and also a very sustainable way. We don't plan on buying anything new. Um, we're hoping to find everything secondhand from the van to the wood that we use to build it out to the refrigerator, everything. We're hoping to find secondhand, not only because it's cheaper, but because it's just more sustainable. And after that, we're going to lose our car payments, our mortgage, our electric, our electric, all everything like that. 
So after that, what really do you have left to pay for? Your gas. You're not driving all day every day, so that's really not that expensive. Food. Uh, we're big people, so we eat a lot. We have dogs, so <laughs> food is probably our most expensive cost. But, but we've <laughs> already like, established yeah, you're going to sustain yourself really, on noodles, so it'll be fine. Yeah, so it, it's really it's up in the air, I guess you would say, but no matter what, there's always a way to make money. And the cheaper your expenses are, the easier it is to make that money. Mm. So I got to ask, um, what's what's one place that's high on your bucket list of where you want to go once you've moved into the van? Uh, so many. Uh, so, so many. Uh, so, uh, so many. Um, I have an obsession with green. I love deep, deep green lush, lush forest. So I'm very excited kind of for all of the Pacific Northwest just in general, just because of how wet and green and alive it is. Just there's something so calming and like taking that deep breath and filling your lungs with that moist, clear air. It's just, I can't wait for it. I can't wait to wake up in it. And I can't wait to let my dogs run through those woods. And I just, it it makes me so excited to think about. I struggle with depression and anxiety pretty hard, and it um, has shut me down at points in my life. It has made me make decisions that weren't my own. It's made me uh, sit and sit in a life for years at a time doing things I didn't understand why I was doing because I was such in a depressive state that I thought that was my only choice. And being outside and really, really focusing on myself and my goals and my dreams helped me pull myself from a depression and start figuring out my dreams. I definitely want to help be one of those people that uh, others can talk to about their mental health issues. I want to tell people, like, I know what it's like to feel like you have two devils on your shoulder and neither of them is you. I know what it's like to be in a life that you feel like isn't your own. I know what it's like to feel like the only place that you feel yourself is outside and away from all other people. I get that. I understand what it's like to feel alone, alone in a room full of people. But I also know how good it feels once you get past that and you tell those people how you feel and how those people react to you and how those people support you. Depression isn't fun, but it really, really makes me who I am. It makes me kind. It makes me loving. uh, It makes me understand things that I never probably would if I didn't have depression. And it stinks, but who I am. It's part of me. And I think it's important. Again, that was Allie Shin. You can follow her on Instagram under the handle Lady with the Dogs. My name is Tiffany Duong. You may remember Tiffany's voice. She did a story for Out There last year called Into the Blue. Tiffany is an ocean advocate. 
And she says she's on that career track because the ocean saved her from a life she hated. I, by formal training, am a renewable energy lawyer. And I practiced for six years in California. And I was really good at it, but it just didn't light me up. I loved the impact of the work. I think renewable energy is the way of the future and all that. But the lifestyle was just draining me of myself. And when I was going through my law, uh, law practice, I basically would just live for, you know, the, those couple hours after work where you veg out in front of the TV or go out to dinner with friends or like two weeks of vacation a year. And I found myself doing more and more extreme vacations off the grid, all that just to feel alive and remind myself of who I was at my core when you stripped away, you know, like power suits and contracts and offices. And one of the things I tried was scuba diving. And on a whim, one late night, I decided to book a trip to the Galapagos for a liveaboard dive vacation. It would be more challenging diving than I'd ever done. And I'd never really dove outside of California where um, I was trained. Um, but I just needed some new stimuli to continue to feel alive. So I went on that trip and it just, that was it. That changed my entire life path because I basically had breakdowns on the bow of the boat every night, like crying in like appreciation of the place and of getting myself there to realize how unhappy I was at home. I felt just so much more home in this place I'd never been with myself than I did back in LA where I, you know, thought I was from where I had bought a house, where I was living and working, that I realized I really needed to change something. So long story short, I went back home, quit my job, and have been on the move ever since, um, kind of trying to piece together a life that makes me feel alive all the time instead of just for two hours a day or two weeks a year. So tell me about what you're doing in, in terms of ocean advocacy, because that seems to be, you know, your main focus at the moment. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Florida um, to the Keys about 10 months ago to do coral restoration with an awesome group called Coral Restoration Foundation. And it was basically um, like diving to save Florida's coral reef. Um, okay, wait, wait, wait. That sounds amazing, but also how does it work? <laughs> yeah. Um, so Florida's got the only barrier reef in the U.S., and it's dying. It's at about 1% of its traditional um, size, and that's due to a lot of things over many decades. But basically, uh, it's not doing well. So there's a lot of organizations focused out there on restoring the reef. So what they do is actually grow coral on these coral trees in the ocean. And it, when you dive through it, it feels like you're like going through a forest, but it's trees made out of PVC pipe with corals hanging off of it growing. And then you, we used to dive down every day and tend to these corals, grow them, 
make sure that they're happy the way you would with like plants at home. And then we would go and take healthy fragments of those and plant them back onto the reef, like actually glue them to old reef. And then they would eventually adhere to the reef and start growing up and recreate the reef that we lost. It's amazing that that works. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Like, it sounds like something that, you know, you would dream, like a kindergartner would come up with. Like, let's, uh, let's, you know, let's take these pipes and grow coral on them and then glue them onto the reefs. Like, that'll work. But it works. I mean, it did start as kind of like a wild, wild west backyard experiment of a, a guy who just loves coral. So it's not far from that. So tell me about Ocean Rebels. Yep, that's um, a media company that a couple co-workers from Coral Restoration Foundation and then also my previous job started together. And we focus on basically just getting the word out. We want to make media that makes people really pause and think about their own role in what's happening to our planet. Um, we call it disruptive, not because it's going to you know, be very aggressive necessarily, but we want it to change how people think fundamentally. Um, like there's a video of a sea turtle getting a straw pulled out of its nose by a researcher and she's losing her mind basically being like, oh my God, this is the same kind of straw I used to use as a kid. Like I see the stripes and she mm-hmm. recognized it and it, and you see the turtles like bleeding and like obviously in pain. And after you watch that video, you can't unsee it and you can't unremember it every time you use a straw. Like I want to make media like articles and videos and all that, that create that same connection in people so that they change their behaviors fundamentally for good. So I have a question, and this is actually, this comes from something you said to me in an email at one point, Um, something about how being Asian had been one of the things that had kept you from pursuing a career that you that you really loved for a long time. Mm-hmm. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I think Asia, traditional Asian culture in particular loves stability and trusts in the safe path. And um, part of like the burden of the model minority, you know, which is what a lot of people will call Asians, is that you're you're taught to behave and not rock the boat because if you rock the boat, maybe you'll fall off. And mm. so, and then I, I'm wrapped into that too is you know all the dynamics of being a girl, you know, being taught to be good and to you know be well behaved, always be a lady, all that stuff that gets thrown in there. And then I'm also a firstborn in my family, which adds to the dynamic because in Asian families, the firstborn is supposed to, you know, be the one that takes over the family's like public face Mm. and to bring honor. And it sounds like very 
traditional hokey pokey, but it, it's really deeply rooted in our culture. And it, it influences me at least in every action I've ever done without me even knowing it. And it's only after kind of leaving the traditional, you know, hamster wheel that I can see how much those mindsets and opinions that I learned from my family and from my culture stopped me from being able to even recognize I was unhappy because I was in a role that everybody told me was great and everybody told me was, you know, like I was a big firm lawyer. I was doing work I liked. I was doing work that was, you know, not slimy lawyer, like real good for the earth lawyer. Right. So I should be happy. And it took a long time for me not to feel guilty for not being happy and to be have the courage to just say, yeah, even if this is like the ultimate in your eyes, it, it just doesn't do it for me. And I might like, you know, doing something totally weird and crazy, like being a coral restoration person or a shark tagger or a journalist, you know, things that are not even on their radar as real jobs, but that give me purpose. That was Tiffany Duong. You can follow her media company, Ocean Rebels, on Instagram via the handle Ocean Rebels. And of course, you can also follow her personal page. For photos and more info about each of our ambassadors, just head over to our website, outtherepodcast.com, and click on the About tab. As I mentioned at the top of the show, support for Out There comes from Kula Cloth, a high-tech pee rag for women and anyone else who squats when they pee. Anastasia Allison is the founder of Kula. She says going to the bathroom in the woods can be a little daunting if you've never done it before. I remember my very first backpacking trip. I literally I did not know what I was doing and I didn't even bring toilet paper. And I actually had to steal some. I'm ashamed to admit this. I had to steal some from another person in the group. And because I just nobody had told me and the the person leading the trip was a man and I didn't feel comfortable asking him what I needed to do. And so I just think had I had this information or had people been more open or talking about it, maybe I wouldn't have been in such a, a situation that felt so embarrassing and uh, sort of traumatic for me as a new backpacker. Kula cloths are made of antimicrobial fabric that is super absorbent, and they have a waterproof backing so you don't get your fingers wet when you wipe. When you're done, you just clip the Kula cloth to your backpack, and it'll be dry by the next time you have to pee. For 10% off your order, go to kulacloth.com and enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's K-U-L-A cloth.com, promo code OUTTHERE. And just so you know, Out There gets a little percentage of all sales made with that promo code. So by using the promo code Out There, you'll be saving yourself money and helping this podcast. 
That's it for this episode. Our marketing and business development director is Alex Edgar King. Our advertising coordinator is Jessica Taylor. Laura Johnston heads up our ambassador program. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you in two weeks. And in the meantime, have a beautiful day. Be bold. Go outside and find your dreams.